Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. I am very, very pleased and really actually excited uh, to be beginning this this series with Israel's story with Mishi and with Yochai. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a background on how I even know who these people are. When I was getting my master's in education, I was part of a program called the I-Center, and I was getting what they called a master's concentration in Israel education. And so I would go to Chicago three times, and uh, Israel's story came, and it was the first time I'd ever heard of the podcast. And I was really taken by the idea of this uh, way of storytelling. And so I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about what Israel's story is actually all about. But I just wanted to to share them with all of you and to be able to say that I think this is a really powerful way of beginning our journey to, towards the high holidays, towards the Ayamim Noraim, because really what we are trying to figure out in the next seven weeks is what it means to tell our story, what it means for us to have a story of our lives of this past year, of the story we want to tell for the next year, and how we need to be part of that work to make that story something that allows us to go through tshuva and be able to say those sorries and also be the person that we hope to be. So I'm going to turn it over, and as soon as they explain a little bit about Israel's story, um, I'll ask our first question. And then, as they said a few moments ago, you're you're welcome to ask questions in the chat. There will also be some time. Um, if you would like to ask questions in between or at the end, feel free to raise your hand. Um, and if you're not on camera, to virtually raise your hand or just write your question in the chat. And without further ado, Bechavod, uh, Yochai, and Mishi, so nice to have you. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here um, and lovely to... Uh, virtually meet all of you. Um, so my name is Mishi Harman, and uh, that is uh, Yochai Meital. Um, hi, hi. Yochai is uh, currently in Tel Aviv. I'm currently in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, I imagine many of you are in LA. Uh, perhaps not all of you, though, but many of you. Um, so um, we are the um, founders and creators of Israel Story. And Israel Story is um, Israel's uh, leading podcast. We uh, are often uh, referred to as the Israeli This American Life. Um, and um, we are also, um, um, to our delight, um, the largest Jewish podcast in the world. We have uh, now hundreds of thousands of listeners um, in more than 190 countries around the world. And the um, the what we what we essentially do, and we'll get we'll get into sort of why we do this and how this came came to be. But what we essentially do is we um, try to tell a uh, story of a different kind of Israel, a more uh, nuanced one, a um, uh, uh, one that doesn't fall into sort of these flat, grand narratives that um, that govern so much of our um, thoughts um, and discussions about Israel, political narratives, religious narratives, um, BDS narratives, um, uh, Israel advocacy narratives, but rather uh, tries to recognize and, and celebrate the, um, 
the tremendous human uh, um, tapestry, the sort of richness of traditions, cultures uh, in Israel. And we do so by telling stories of uh, everyday uh, Israelis um, of all shapes and colors and kinds, uh, Jews and Muslims and Christians and uh, Palestinians and Israelis and, um, and foreign workers and Russian immigrants and Ethiopian uh, uh, Jews and Mizrahim uh, um, and Ashkenazim and left-wingers and right-wingers. And... Um, Try to um, try to try to tell stories that, that humanize um, um, people, basically, and by doing so, uh, try to expand these circles of engagement uh, with Israel—not necessarily support for Israel, but uh, engagement with Israel—to people who are otherwise um, perhaps uh, find find it um, find it difficult to to uh, to really. Um, become very interested um, in, in the show. And I'll just say, lastly, before uh, Yochai weighs in and, and, and maybe we get into some of the sort of the history of, 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 the, of this show and what we do and why we do it, I'll just say that early on, um, given that you're an LA, uh, primarily LA-based uh, crowd, um, uh, early on when we... Um, when we created Israel Story, so we, we created Israel Story uh, for, first in Hebrew, and we uh, we were one of the very first podcasts in Israel. In fact, we uh, formed the Israeli Podcasting Association uh, and called convened it, its inaugural meeting uh, in my living room. And I think there were I, I think five or six people there today. Today there are many more Israeli podcasters. It still is not the sort of um, cultural um, phenomenon that it is in, in the States, but there are definitely many, many more podcasts. Um, and we started this um, with very, very little uh, experience or, uh, or really no experience whatsoever. And before long, through a series of events, uh, which if you're interested and in, we can get into later, uh, we became a national radio show. Um, and, um, and then we made a, uh, somewhat, uh, counterintuitive decision, which was to create an English version of, uh, of this show. And it was counterintuitive because we were now essentially trying to create the American version of the Israeli version of this American life. Um, and, uh, and in doing so, I, um, often thought of, uh, my college roommate, uh, Jesse, um, who is from LA, from Santa Monica. And um, uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse comes from a sort of Jewish family. His father is Jewish. His mother is not. You would probably say on a census that he is Jewish, but other than some sort of nominal bar mitzvah, uh, does not really ha- incorporate any real Jewish uh, rituals, at least in his life. And unlike his uh, grandfather, who was a Holocaust survivor and had a uh, little tzedakah box where he would uh, put a, uh, a dime or a nickel every Friday to, you know, plant trees in Israel or something like that. And even his father, who was a teenager um, uh, during the Six-Day War and came and volunteered on a kibbutz following 67, um, Jesse doesn't really have any kind of emotional uh, connection to, to Israel. And for him, Israel, like for many people, I'm sure many people you know, uh, Israel is primarily New York Times headlines and um, 
uh, news about Bibi, about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, about the occupation, about Iranian bombs. Um, and for Jesse, who is otherwise extremely progressive and was involved in both Obama campaigns and so on and so forth, uh, it became increasingly uh, difficult to reconcile any interest in Israel, again, not support for, but any real interest in Israel with uh, his otherwise um, progressive worldview. And um, in thinking about Israel's story, we said, well, we want to create a, um, we want to create a narrative about Israel which allows the Jesses of the world to, uh, to re-engage. Um, we, we want them to, if we can tell stories that are interesting enough for the Jesses of the world, it would be almost irrelevant that they're coming from Israel. They might as well be coming from Venezuela or from India or from Iceland. But of course, for us as Israelis, there's nothing at all um, uh, coincidental about the fact that they are coming from Israel. And we thought that that would be a way uh, for us to expand circles of engagement with Israel. So that is what we set out to do. And to our uh, delight, uh, this is, uh, we're now entering our 10th year of working on this project um, and have released um, four full seasons in Hebrew. And we're now in the midst of our fifth season in English. Um, so that's sort of a, a very general overview. Um, Yochai, I don't know if you want to add to that. I mean, the, the only thing I want to add is um, you, you sort of talked about the Jesses of the world. Um, and it is pretty amazing that uh, here we are about maybe eight years since we started this uh, sort of story odyssey. Um, and we do, have, we do have hundreds of thousands of listeners literally from you know, all over the world. And people write us from all kinds of interesting corners. And it's very exciting. But for me, at least, there's also an element uh, in this whole project of... Um, really of self-discovery um, in a way. I mean, I, I come from Tel Aviv. I love Tel Aviv. I'm a proud Tel Avivian. Um, but uh, often Tel Aviv gets criticized for being a bubble. And I think that's, that's true. But it's true for most of our lives. We like to encapsulate ourselves in little bubbles of people that we know uh, that have usually have similar opinions to us and have uh, been raised similarly. Uh, and, and we just feel more comfortable in that bubble. And I, I'm no different than that. Um, and when we started this uh, this um, Israel story and this whole journey, it really enabled me to uh, meet an Israel that I've never met before and leave my bubble in, in radical ways. And, and, and really not just, I mean, because I, I knew Israel well before geographically in terms of, you know, where all the, you know, best uh, little hidden uh, springs are, etc., but uh, in terms of really getting into all these different corners and meeting people that have very, very different uh, life stories and, and views and uh, values and trying to piece, piece together some kind of, uh, of a version of what this country is about, really, because our, our name is Israel Story. And it's, it, it's actually kind of weird because is, there is no Israel Story, really. It's just an amalgam of all, amal, I don't know if that's a word, amalgam of all these... Uh, amalgamation, I don't know, of, of all these people's lives that together somehow are, we're, we're struggling to sort of make a story together. And so that there's a lot of that in, in this process for me personally. Right. I, 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 I very much identify with, with what you just said, Yochai, and I'll, I'll just add that, um, you know, um, Israel is an extremely fragmented society. Um, and, um, uh, you know, um, 
take uh, so I'm from Jerusalem, and if you take uh, if you take Jerusalem uh, as an example, Jerusalem has about nine hundred thousand um, residents. About a third of them are ultra orthodox Jews, and about a third of them are Arabs. Um, but growing up in Jerusalem, even though um, you know you see members of these other groups almost on a daily basis on the line for you know. At the, at the medical clinic or in the shuk or in the supermarket or in the, you know, driver's ed course or whatever it is. Um, uh, it's, it, it, to be completely honest with you, I, I, I never actually had any social interactions or any friends with, uh, with, I didn't have any friends who were ultra Orthodox or, or, uh, or, or Arab. And, um, in that, I don't think that my story is at all unique. I think that this is basically the, uh, the, the default situation for most Israelis that, as Yochai said, we surround ourselves with uh, like-minded people, uh, who went to the same schools and, uh, prayed at the same schools or, you know, parents have similar professions or, or members of the same, similar socioeconomic groups. And, um, you know, what happens, um, and, and, and in, in that, of course, Israel, I don't think is unique. I think that, uh, I think that uh, this is, uh, unfortunately, something that happens um, around the world. I know that so many of my American friends were so shocked by the outcome of the, of the 2016 election because they literally didn't know anybody who voted for Trump. And yet, uh, nearly half of America—not not quite, but nearly half of America—voted uh, for for Trump. Um, so I don't think that this is a uniquely Israeli phenomenon. But perhaps what is unique about Israel and um, the thing—the thing is that in America, there you have all these great expanses, so it's right. easier for people to be disconnected from each other. In Israel, we're really we're a tiny country. We're all living in the same cities, stuck in in each other's lives. Uh, so it's. It's hard to imagine that it is actually, in a way, it's there. there it is uh, sort of segregated or divided right. into groups. Right, and what what happens more often than not is that you'll see somebody walking uh, on the street, and you'll immediately take in what you know they have or don't have on their head, or what color uh, skin they they have, or what clothes they're wearing, and and you'll you'll put them in some sort of a um, a box. You'll put some sort of label on them, and. Uh, and, and then you'll start piling up all these assumptions that you have uh, based on other members of that group. So you think you'll know uh, what their dinner table looks like and what newspapers they read and what they think about the gay pride parade in Jerusalem and, um, you know, what they did or didn't do in the army and so on and so forth. And I think um, it's true for, for both of us that if we've uh, discovered one thing uh, while working on this, um, on this project is it's how rarely people actually uh, actually conform to uh, to those stereotypes, um, and and we thought that uh, you know what, when you when you pile up all these assumptions onto people uh, within a split second, you you feel that you know so much about them that it almost uh, obviates the need to uh, to actually talk to them, um, because what what are you what are you likely to discover? You know, you'll just confirm what you already know, um, and. Um, and as I said, you know, we, we've, we've discovered in stepping out of our own little bubbles um, uh, how, how, how wrong we were to assume that. And, um, and we, we thought that actually a podcast was um, an extremely powerful medium through which to try to combat that, um, that uh, tendency of ours because 
so much of this is uh, so much of this judging is based on visual input. Uh, we see someone and we immediately sort of categorize them. And we thought that uh, yes, like it's true that curly the, hair, glasses <laughs> must be some kind of an intellectual uh, Jew type. <laughs> Am I right? Um, well, stereotypes always lie. Do I have you pegged? <laughs> um, so we thought that if it's true that there, that there are accents and phrases and idioms that people use, but, but we thought that if we were able to eliminate the visual, um, the visual uh, uh, part of this uh, process and, and really just present people with a voice, perhaps they would uh, be able for a little bit longer, maybe only a minute or two, but a little bit longer to suspend their judgment and actually listen to the story of somebody um, who lives a very different life uh, than they do. And that, that to our, thankfully, was exactly what, what uh, the reaction to the show was when we, when we initially started. People said again and again, uh, the sort of most common um, response that we got once, we, once, once people started listening to us was, uh, you know, my name's Itzik, I'm 55 years old from, uh, from um, Yoknam. And, uh, you know, last night while walking the dog or doing the dishes or, um, or going out for a walk or whatever was the first time that I actually listened to the story of, and then, you know, insert some sort of minority demographic, a uh, ultra Orthodox woman from Tzfat or a Bedouin teenager from Hura or a Eritrean refugee living in, uh, in South Tel Aviv. So <clears throat> I, it's so powerful to hear how you're telling a story because as you mentioned at the beginning, there are, you have to decide how to tell a story. You could tell it from many different angles. You don't have to just tell the one version. You could tell a story from, from this person's perspective or this person's perspective. And then it's a completely different story because you're not getting the whole version. You're just getting one piece of it. And it makes me think of our own Torah because that's how we get drashot. We figure out what angle of that story we want to expound upon, we want to tell. So I would love to hear how you both and how Israel's story as a whole makes it such that you actually, you are teaching, but also sharing the art of storytelling and how we as consumers, as listeners can figure out how that can shape the way that we then tell stories. So, um, I mean, th th there's a, it's a fascinating question what you're asking and, and we can take it in many different directions. But one thing I would like to point out is, I mean, often uh, we'll do like workshops or, or, or do things with schools and things like that. And, and we'll talk about storytelling and, and how you tell a good story, et cetera, et cetera. Or talk about, you know, uh, interviewing techniques and people want to know how do you, how do you prepare for an interview and ask questions, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth is, to be a good storyteller, I think one of the prerequisites or one of the things you need to really practice is to be a, a good listener, a good story listener. Um, so really, I mean, in, in a way, one of uh, the things that, I mean, we're, we're not the, the first or last storytelling is we, we have no, uh, you know, uh, we have... One second, sorry. We have... We have uh, no monopoly on, on storytelling or anything like that. Obviously, it's... I'm sorry, this is my son bothering you, even though he was threatened not to bother me. How much do you want? 
Sorry about that. Um, sorry about that. Um, I think that li- listening is really important. Now, in Israel, uh, I'll just uh, give you a little, little example here um, of what radio sort of sounds like in Israel. Basically, people are very combative. Like on the radio, um, the, the different uh, radio DJs and journalists, they, they sort of try and, it's almost like they go into battle with you when they, when they interview and they're trying to beat you. Uh, into submission or something like that. So just this is a little uh, snippet of sort of what radio sounds like in Israel, in case uh, some of you uh, have never had the privilege of, of, uh, of hearing it. But that's one of the things that we really, we came with a very different attitude and we wanted to change that. We wanted to um, really create a space where people can tell their story, feel comfortable with us. So we would, you know, go back to people often. We would go usually to their house or to where, whichever space they felt more comfortable with and really trying to uh, listen to people. So that's one, one thing I wanted to say that's really important. And this process of telling stories is actually just knowing, knowing how to listen and practicing, practicing that. I, before, I'll just before add to see, that. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry. Go. No, I was just going to say, before, before you respond, I think it's such a powerful way of thinking of Elul because that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be kind of taking stock and listening to ourselves as to what it is that, that is going to be the story, the work that we need to do. So I just wanted to, to point out that you really like hit that nail on the head, even if, it's, even if it's two completely different things that we're talking about here. That is exactly what this cheshbona nefesh is supposed to be for us, this accounting of our soul Though we don't talk about it as listening, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to meditate and be introspective and really figure out what it is that we need to hear to then be able to act upon. So thank you for sharing that answer. Sure. So I think that, um, that in our previous uh, answer, we, we, we both spotlighted what uh, we had gotten out of this, which was stepping out of our own little communities and getting to know Israel and so on and so forth. But um, perhaps um, it's also, uh, in, in, in light of your uh, question, Rabbi, it's, it's, um, it's interesting to talk for a second about the process for the people telling their stories. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we decided to call our show Israel Story, which was a pretty presumptuous name. Um, and early on, we had a serious problem, which was that... Um, though we, we said that we were here to tell a story of a different, more nu- nuanced Israel, really our, uh, you know, our reach was limited. We were, we were four friends, Yochaya, myself, and, and two other uh, um, good friends. Perhaps this is a good moment to say that we had all, uh, that we had all grown up together in the conservative uh, youth uh, movement, uh, Noam, in Israel. And we'd all been friends since, uh, since uh, third grade, I believe, Yochai. Um, and uh, had remained friends um, and each went in different paths but got back together in our late 20s to to uh, to uh, embark on this project together and um, in many ways we were a terrible team to achieve uh, we weren't well positioned to achieve our goal 
because we were we were uh, we essentially couldn't have been more similar to each other if we tried. Um, we um, we were all boys. We were all friends. We were all born in 1983, with the exception of Yochai, who was born in December '82. So he was our diversity ticket. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, we were all living in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv. Uh, all um, had parents who had spent a lot of time in the States or were themselves uh, uh, olim. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, in the academic world and so on and so forth. We were all very, very similar. So it was very difficult for us to claim that we represented some sort of uh, um, variety of Israeli, uh, um, of Israeli experiences or really that we had access to uh, a variety of Israeli experiences. So um, uh, early on, we, we, we tried to think of ways in which we could step out of our little uh, social bubbles and tell stories that uh, were more reflective um, of Israeli society as a whole. And it wasn't easy. I mean, early, you know, when, when we first began, no one even knew what a podcast was. Uh, no one knew what we wanted from them. Um, so now it's much easier uh, and, and to, to get people to talk to us. But it wasn't so simple. Um, and we tried to come up with ideas of projects that would allow us to really, uh, really uh, explore different, uh, different uh, sides of Israeli society. One of the earliest projects that we came up with was um, called Herzl 48. So Herzl Street is the most common street name in all of Israel. There are, I believe, um, 53 or something, 54 Herzl Streets throughout Israel, sort of the... the uh, Israeli equivalent of Main Street, um, and um, uh, and uh, we chose number forty-eight uh, because of the year of the establishment of the state, and um, and we said, you know what? There's something relatively arbitrary about uh, one's address, um, so why don't we go and knock on every single forty-eight Herzl Street from mm. the north till the south? Uh, the, the northern one was, uh, the most northern one was uh, in Kiryat Shmona, and the, and the most southern one was, I believe, in Dimona. Elat has a Herzl Street, but not a number 48. Um, and, uh, and, we, and we knocked on doors there. And, you know, when you go embark on a project like this, uh, and you speak to everyone who happens to live or work at a Herzl 48, um, you, you reach young people and old people and rich people and poor people. And, um, and um, you know, right-wingers and left-wingers and religious and secular and so on and so forth. Uh, we were slightly concerned that we wouldn't uh, meet many Arabs because, you know, Umil Fahim doesn't have a Herzl Street. Um, but uh, in uh, Zichon Yaakov, uh, Herzl, Herzl 48 is a pharmacy. So, uh, and like 90% of uh, pharmacists in Israel are Arabs. So we, that's mm. where we met Muhammad, the pharmacist. So we even met Arabs on this, uh, on this uh, adventure of ours. And I tell you all of this um, because um, to, to give you a little taste of what the experience is like for, uh, for someone to tell their own story. So remember, we don't usually talk to people who are um, used to being profiled in the media. Um, we talk to everyday men and women, um, and for for I would say the majority of them, this is the the first and perhaps only time in their lives that anyone 
from the media has ever expressed any interest in them. And in fact, for many of them, they tell us, it's the only time that uh, really people outside of their family have expressed interest, and sometimes even in their family. Um, and, and we sit with people for hours and hours and hours and uh, ask them stories about their lives. And of course, there's a whole uh, side of this, which is gaining people's trust and allowing them to open up at the sort of uh, pace that feels comfortable to them, because you can't just go into someone's house and a stranger's house and immediately ask them to, you know, recount their most joyous or, 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 or um, painful moments of life. Um, but um, I, I, I just wanted to share one, one anecdote, which I think will, will, will perhaps give you a little sense of, uh, as, to, as to your question, Rabbi, um, which was that uh, in Kiryat Shmona, uh, we, we met a, a woman called Sima Mutai, uh, who lived at Herzl 48, and we knocked on her door and asked her if we could, we explained the project and asked her if we could come in, and she was extremely nice and invited us into her living room and gave us some uh, lemonade with mint and some nut cake and uh, and we sat and we were talking and um, and we were asking um, questions about Herzl Street and Kirat Shmona about her life and um, we sort of have this motto that everyone has a story to tell that uh, that if you just spend enough time with somebody everyone has some something to interesting to to share and uh, Sima Mutai was the first person we met who. Uh, seriously challenged that motto um, because she was, uh, she was um, deathly boring. Um, we were sitting there for hours and hours and hours asking her and her answers really were one snoozer after another. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we were looking at each other and saying, well, maybe we need to revise our motto. Maybe, maybe everyone has a story to tell, but Sima <laughs> Mutai. Um, and, um, and uh, maybe three hours into our uh, time with her, we were really sort of grasping at straws, trying to ask any random question we could think of. And maybe three hours into our time with her, she got a phone call um, and took it in the other room. And um, I could overhear the phone call. And when she came back, uh, we said, oh, who was it? And she said, it was my son. It's his birthday next week. Uh, so I said, oh, well, wonderful. How old is he going to be? And she said, whatever, 32, or I can't, I can't remember. And, um, and, uh, and I sort of quickly calculated in my mind, and I said, oh, so he was born in, uh, you know, June uh, 1982 or something like that. And she said, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, my son was born at, uh, at 5 a.m. on uh, whatever, June 7th, 1982, and um, at 7 a.m., two hours later, my brother was killed in the first war in Lebanon. And I named my son um, after my brother. And my mother, uh, for, meaning this baby's grandmother, for, uh, the, for her, his entire life couldn't call the little child by his name because she felt that uh, this little baby was a replacement for her, mm. for her dead son. And you know, that was a pretty amazing story. And it, and, it, and it was what was amazing, most amazing about this to me was the fact that it didn't dawn on her that this was even in any way a story worth sharing or unique. Um, it was just her life. And it just took a tremendous amount of time and patience for this to come up. And it could have just as easily not have come up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the experience of telling your story is also an experience of just sort of realizing that your life is meaningful. Your life is full of these, um, full of these uh, unique perspectives and experiences that, uh, that make you who you are and that a lot of them are extremely valuable and worth sharing. So I think that there's a lot of value for the person telling a story as well. That actually connects to Shia. Rene sent me a question. I think it's privately, so I'll share it with everybody. Is that she, she asks, um, or he asks, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, was there any common theme in all of the people you interviewed? So my first reaction was to, to say, you know, no, not really. But now that, I, now that I'm listening to you talk, Mishi, I think there is. Like the one, one common thing is that they all have stories, um, and all of our interviewees, uh, stories play, they play an important role in, in how they form their, their own uh, identity. Uh, and people have very, very different attitudes towards their stories. Some, will, some are very proud and they just want to share it. Some are ashamed of their stories and share them reluctantly, or some don't even realize they have a story. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe I just wanted to, Misha, you, did I cut you off? I'm sorry if I cut no, you off. No, no. But uh, I wanted to share just an, and also an answer to your question, Rabbi, about sort of uh, the role that's, roles that story play in, um, in, in this process of understanding ourselves and, uh, and, and tshuva. Um, it, it just sort of made me think of a story that I'm actually working on now. Um, I'm not going to tell the whole story. It's for the next season. So I, I hope you guys will all uh, maybe take this opportunity to invite all of you, by the way, to... Look us up, uh, Israel Story, um, IsraelStory.org on our website. Or if you guys are podcast listeners, you can, of course, search for us wherever you find, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Israel Story, that's the singular, and of course, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, and one of the stories that we're working on in this fifth season that will be coming up um, is a story about the first battle of... Uh, uh, in the southern Golan of, of the Yom Kippur War, or one of the first battles, there were a bunch of battles that opened simultaneously. And it's a story that's not often told because um, we didn't win that battle. Uh, you know, usually the, the battles that we tell about are more the battles that, are, that end up victorious. But, um, uh, I mean, this story really caught me because it turns out that battles that are not victorious often have, you know, equal amount, if not more, of... Uh, of uh, bravery and heroism involved. Um, and specifically, I mean, I interviewed a lot of characters that were in this, stuck in this one bunker for three days in enemy territory in, uh, in, in the Golan and really went through some horrific things. Um, and after, um, after the battle, they sort of, the, the group dispersed and didn't stay in touch, which is quite amazing. You know, Israel is such a close-knit society and as people, people tend to stay in touch, especially with their army mates, they all dispersed. Um, and, and they all uh, sort of carried the story um, inside of them, but never talked about it. Um, and um, Menachem, the, the, who, is the, who is the commander of this, uh, this group of paratroopers stuck on the hill, um, he was also, he's this sort of macho Israeli guy, uh, repre- completely repressing um, all these horrific things and his soldiers dying and things that he saw. Um, until one day he had a, a mental breakdown, like a, literally like a, he, he, he um, was on a date night with his wife and they watched a, a movie. Um, it was like some, some, some uh, war movie. 
um, about a plane crash in, in Iraq, an American movie, a Hollywood movie. Um, and on the way back, his wife just you know, sort of uh, innocently asked him, you know, Menachem, didn't that movie, uh, you know, bring you back to those days in the war? Um, and then, actually, I think I might have a clip of it. So I'll just let you guys hear a little bit of Menachem because he's, he's the person in my ears lately. And really, I find him very inspiring and also helped me to help me make the point about your question, Rabbi. So this is, I think, Menachem describing his breakdown uh, after his wife asked him that question. I just broke into a, a cry and it was loud. It was bizarre to me because I haven't heard my cry uh, a quarter of a decade ago. I never cried since since then. I didn't recognize the voice, the sound of, of a cry, of my cry. And I couldn't see the 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 road because of my tears and then I had to, to now, stop. One thing you have to understand about Menachem that I that I find fascinating is that his repress his repress repress repression of of uh, the incidents that happened to him, etc. Um, it wasn't coincidental. He grew up uh, second generation to Holocaust survivors, um, so his parents um, never spoke about the Holocaust at all. Only much later in life did they did they speak about it and. And even then, they would not talk to Menachem about it. They only took to talk to the grandchildren. Sort of, it sort of skipped a generation. So basically, Menachem, uh, you know, he, he grew up uh, with the value of repressing, almost, uh, you know, indebted in him. He has a little mm-hmm. clip here that he kind of talks about actually exactly that. Um, so these are, the, these are the values that Menachem was raised on, according to, to Menachem. And I was raised... If I if I will describe it, that the world wake up in the morning, brush it, its teeth, and think how it can destroy our family life. That was as simple as that because they experience it. And after this this uh, battle, I I uh, experienced it as well. Um, and so. After following that breakdown, Menachem finally realized that he needed to, to get some treatment. Um, and he actually did start talking very hesitantly and reluctantly. He went and talked to a, a therapist who happened to be a female therapist who was much younger than him. Uh, and this is a little clip of him talking about sort of some things that he discovered uh, in that process of taking himself through therapy. It was both shame and a little bit fright, frightening and I had to rebuild and restructure everything that I know about, my, about myself and I discovered a very important thing along this way I began to realize that indeed talks can change even today, it sounds so strange to me, to me to but I know that, that it worked. You know, all of a sudden, he discovered that actually talking can can create some kind of change. You know, he was a, sort of he's a, as a, as a sort of very uh, pragmatic macho Israeli. He's like, eh, you know, don't talk so much, just do. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he, he realized that no, actually, telling my story and talking about it and sharing my experience has a profound impact and. Uh, Later on, he shared his own experience of going to therapy with his other soldiers 
which helped them go to therapy and improve their lives a lot because many of them were suffering from PTSD and, and that uh, affected their marriage life and, um, you know, their parenting and, and really everything um, to this day with many of them. So that just, you know, I, I'm bringing this example to answer your question, Rabbi, because um, there's also a, a certain power to telling your story. Um, it's, telling your story isn't just... Um, understanding your identity or, or something like that it also it's also a way of shaping it and changing it yeah um mm. so in the case of menachem there, there are a lot of things that he actually regrets from from that battle uh and a lot there's there's also uh, something called survivor's guilt which I, I won't get into here but uh one one of his ways of changing that or affecting that is actually telling his story and and um and, you know, I'm happy that we have sort of the, the right and the privilege to, to help in, in that, in our little way. Sorry, I didn't mean to spotlight myself no, no, before no. you were done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Mishi, maybe you will, in a second, I want to respond to what Yocha just said, but maybe you'll answer Jennifer's question, which was, if there was any interview that really knocked the wind out of you. Um, and you can interpret that any way, any way you wish. Um, I just want to say that that in listening to the interview that you just shared with us, it actually made me think a lot about what the shofar is supposed to do for us. This idea of that crying, the three different sounds that are supposed to sound like these different cries and how every year they might sound different to us based on our own emotional state and what we need to be hearing. Um, and I think that, that that power of telling your story and whether that's to a therapist or just writing it down in your own journal or speaking to someone who's interviewing you in the case of Israel's story, that, that talking about it makes you even think about it differently and makes you think about how it's possible that the story you've even been telling yourself is actually different than the way that you experienced it um, and that you're suppressing something or that you're over-exaggerating something depending on what it is and the way Absolutely. that you're telling I mean, that story. Apropos this battle, one of the, one of the amazing things is that um, every, I, I talked to many of the, of the soldiers and sort of the survivors, the warriors that were there. Yeah. Um, and it's, sometimes it's as if they're describing a different battle. You know, they right. each have a very, very different experience. And, uh, right. and even sometimes the facts are different. You know, they, they're, all, they're all trying to recount their, their experiences as, you know, truthfully as possible, yet they're telling right. different stories because they're, they're different people that, 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 so they, they experience it very differently. And that's what's so, that's what's so powerful about Chuva because you might be saying sorry to someone else who was, who is either unaware that you think that you even did anything to hurt them, or on the flip side, you might say sorry for something and they might say, that's not what you should be sorry for. This other thing is what you should really be sorry for. So this idea of, of tshuva being something that you have to do to a person rather than, you know, via Facebook or in a text message or something really allows that conversation to come out so that the story is then aligned and you're telling the same story of how you can repair that relationship yourself, whatever the tshuva is for. Um, which is such a, I've never thought of Chuba this way um, in my life. And just thinking about how your podcast uh, is created and how it opens people up is really a powerful way of thinking through our own recognition of how we should ask ourselves these same questions and tell our stories and, and then be able to, to act on them. So Mishi, why don't you, why don't you answer that story from, 
Jennifer. Yeah. And then if anybody uh, else has any other questions, we can. We have a question from there. Vivian as well. So we can, yes, we can also yes. address that. Yeah. Address that as well. Sure. So um, to answer to answer Vivian's question, um, uh, we have a show um, in Hebrew and a show in English, and, and most of the content is not overlapping. Um, so there's stories that we do in Hebrew, stories that we do in English. Um, it does, to a certain extent, limit uh, who we're able to interview. Although, uh, you know, first of all, the many Israelis speak English and, and second, you know, if they really don't speak English or don't feel comfortable expressing themselves in English, we will often interview them in Hebrew and, and either dub or, or use some other sort of device to, to tell their story. So maybe on the margins, it a little bit, uh, it a little bit uh, uh, sort of limits who are able to interview, but not in any kind of uh, significant uh, way. Um, as to Jennifer's question, um, you know, there, there, we, we've interviewed. I, I would, uh, I would estimate thousands of people by this point uh, over over the years. Um, many of whom have stayed with me, and some of whom have become close friends. We, we, our process is such that we spend so much time with people. We all, will often go back time and again to interview them and spend, you know, months and, and, and in some extreme cases, even years following their stories, um, that you really feel as if you expand your, your, your circle of friends and family members. And, and, and so many of them have been, uh, have been really people that I would never otherwise have, uh, encountered or met and, and introduced me very generously to their lives. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we often say that our microphone is almost like a magic wand because it sort of gains us access into the living rooms and kitchens and bedrooms of of people who who otherwise are just we, we would never talk to. Um, but I don't want to um, sort of uh, give you a cop out answer, Jennifer. So I will actually answer <laughs> your uh, question. Uh, of course, I could answer this in a million different ways and choose different um, different examples. However. I will, I will choose one example. Can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. Your mother? No, no. <laughs> um, I, I tried. So, she's, uh, my, she's one of my favorite interviews. I, I love when Dorothy's on the show. <laughs> she's definitely a character. Uh, um, so I have lived my entire life essentially... Um, fulfilling most expectations that uh, my parents have had of me. Um, I did by and large what, uh, what they hoped I would do. I went to the schools they hoped I would go to. I followed uh, with the exception of entering radio, which uh, my mom always says, yeah. Barbie Heller says, yeah. can you make a living out of that? A wrong, a wrong <laughs> turn down the road somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but by and large, I've really been a, uh, a pretty, um, a pretty dutiful son. The one, uh, the one, uh, real exception to that, um, was, uh, my choice of, uh, of a spouse. Um, I, um, 
returned to Israel after seven years abroad uh, to settle down and um, meet a nice Jewish girl in Jerusalem and settle down. And uh, shortly after returning to Jerusalem, um, I met Federica, who is uh, a Catholic, uh, ta- Italian Catholic uh, journalist. Um, and uh, we fell in love and she is my wife and uh, uh, soon also uh, going to be the mother of our, our child. And um, uh, and that was extremely, extremely difficult for my parents and extremely difficult for me. I grew up, as I said, in a conservative home. Uh, we're fairly traditional. Um, this was not uh, in any game plan uh, that uh, anyone, including myself, ever had. And yet uh, this, uh, this happened um, and, and all was fine. And, you know, my parents love Federica and so on and so forth. But I mention all of this to say that uh, right around the time that Federica and I were trying to decide each one of us separately and both of us together whether we wanted to actually get married, um, I happened to uh, go interview uh, an ultra-Orthodox couple in Jerusalem. Um, they are originally from, uh, from Bnei Brak. Uh, they come from relatively aristocratic uh, Haredi uh, uh, families. Um, and they uh, met in a, uh, in a, you know, shiduch in the lobby of a hotel and the whole thing, right? Got married after five dates, I believe, if it, um, and lived a uh, very, very typical Haredi life. A um, bunch of kids, four or five kids, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> he was some sort of star student at the Koilel. Um, and then he lost his faith. Um, and he at first um, hid this fact and he would uh, pretend that he was still going to the koilil every day, but in fact he would have a uh, separate uh, change of clothes and would go, uh, uh, would go see movies, uh, sort of daytime movies in Tel Aviv. And uh, mm-hmm. he lived this sort of double life for several years till his wife um, found out. And uh, then they were on the verge of, um, of getting divorced. I'm not going to go into all the details of the story. You can listen to it. It's in an episode called uh, Losing My Religion. Um, and uh, uh, they were on the verge of getting divorced and um, ultimately decided, as they were negotiating the terms of their, of their separation, they decided to, um, to stay together. And um, they now live in an ultra-Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem. She is completely ultra-Orthodox, and he is completely secular. Um, She goes to her rabbis with questions which the rabbis could never imagine, such as, you know, my husband eats shrimps and then (laughs) wants to kiss. Am I allowed to kiss him? Um, And, uh, and, Sitting with them, and we've I've sat with them multiple times, uh, and and seeing the kind of uh, uh, home that they have created, which is really it's it, in many many ways it's much much more difficult than what what I was attempting to create, um, was an inspiration for me that um, that uh, that um, what was the answer about the about the shrimps? I think that yes, I think that if. Uh, if, uh, if, if a certain amount of time passes and because there's only like little specks of shrimp that maybe are in between his teeth or something, I think the rabbi said it was okay. It's um, fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
anyway, it was it was a real inspiration. Rabbi, for Rabbi me. Schatz is giving her hechshel here. So. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> go. Go ahead, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to um, um, answer quickly Renee's question about uh, in, in the course of interviewing, if we discover uh, somebody's in need of talking to a professional, do we suggest it? That's actually, uh, I'll just answer this briefly. Uh, it is actually is uh, something that happened to us a few times. Where we interviewed somebody and um, and often it'll be the case that the story will actually sound fantastic, or, but listening back to it, we'll have questions about whether this person is is sane and stable. Um, and ultimately, we're very careful. Um, generally, we try not to air stories of people who are not sure that they are, you know, really um, ha- have, you know, the capacity if they're, that they're actually with it. Um, but I don't think it's our, usually it's not our place to suggest that they undergo therapy or not, or, or you know, unless it's, I don't know, some kind of extreme situation where we're, there, we're afraid that they're going to hurt themselves. But um, another interesting sort of aspect of, uh, of an answer to your question, Rene, is that um, Mishi also said that he went back and interviewed this couple a few times, and he's, I'm sure you're still in touch with them, right, Mish? Um, so because, because of the nature of our interviews and, and uh, how we conduct them, we often sort of become friends with the people we interview, uh, and then the relationship ends, enters into sort of a different realm where we actually do stay in touch later on, and sometimes, you know, help out with things or give advice and things like that. So the, the lines are not so clear always. And Yochai, I would say that you actually do sometimes act as a therapist to some of your subjects. Well, I think, I think we all do. I think the, the act of telling your story, it's, it's very similar. There, there, there are definitely similarities between, uh, you know, a radio reporter and a therapist. Um, but uh, our, our, our client is the listener. That's the difference, I guess. I don't know if either of you have received um, any questions privately. I'm not seeing any other public questions. Um, I want to ask you one. I know it's 11.59 mm-hmm. and different times where the Thank two you. of you are. But that's what no, time no, it fine. is here. Thank um, you, Robin, by the way. Robin is, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it is a wonderful podcast. It's true. I wouldn't have brought <laughs> a bad podcast. So everyone should listen to Israel's story. It's a great podcast. Um so I want to ask one final question and feel free to think about this for a second. You don't have to answer right away. Um, but my question is, you know, you are the first people we're hearing from. And between now and Rosh Hashanah, we have about six and a half-ish. We have seven weeks total between Tisha B'Av and Erev Rosh Hashanah, um, which as I talked about with my own community, it's like the spring version of the Omer. We're just counting towards something different. And I wonder if as professional storytellers, but really professional story errors, um, that you can give us some advice and how we should unleash uh, and dig deeper into our own stories. We're not each going to be able to be on the Israel Story podcast, and we're not going to each have someone interviewing us over the next seven weeks. So what's the work that we can be doing to really dig deeply into our own stories and how we can use that as a sort of work or if we want to call it meditation to make it not sound like work um, towards the Yamim Noraim to be able to be fully present as the person that, that we wish to be as the Yamim Noraim begin. 
Wow. Wow. That's not an easy question, Rabbi. <laughs> Nishi, do you have something? <laughs> I, I, I want to really think about this. It's, it's really a, it's, no, I, an I, interesting yes, question. I put you on the spot. No, it's one good. That's the, that's your job. <laughs> one of the um, one of I think the most important um, qualities that um, you need to have in order to be an effective storyteller is to be curious and to be uh, um, sort of develop these kind of uh, antennae of curiosity where you where you see where you see stories and uh, and and just interesting aspects of life everywhere. And I once had a friend who, you know, you spend a lot of time in the army um, uh, uh, guarding. Um, and and most people hate guarding because it's really boring. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're standing in a place and, uh, you know, scenery isn't changing really. And, um, and, uh, and I had a friend who told me that, um, that he was never, ever bored uh, while guarding. Um, and I asked, really, how were you never bored? And he said, well, you just, just, just think if you look like at a single leaf or something like that, uh, just think how many different things you can notice about the leaf. And by the, you know, you, you just start noticing more and more about, about this leaf and, uh, its shape and its color and different, you know, veins within the leaf or whatever it is. And, uh, and, 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 and once you start thinking like that, the, you know, by the time is, uh, as, as, uh, one of your highs interviewees in the latest episode that, uh, we just released, uh, said, uh, time, there's not, there isn't enough time. Time is not enough. Um, you know, there's, you, you, you can never get bored. And I think that the same thing applies perhaps, uh, into some sort of introspective, uh, uh, thinking about your own story. Um, if that you, if, if you sort of, um, are able to take nothing for granted and really, and really just say, wow, that was such an unusual interaction or, you know, um, I don't know, yesterday, yesterday, uh, yesterday coming back from taking the, uh, take the dog, my dogs out to the, these woods nearby. And, and I had like four or five different events that happened to me on this uh, 10 minute long drive back home. Each one of them blew my mind. It was like a really interesting interaction. And then when I got home, I started telling Federica, my wife, about all of these interactions. And I, I, I ended up telling her about these interactions for much longer than they actually took in reality. Um, but uh, it's just a way of thinking about your own life that everything is unique and everything is of interest. Um, so maybe by, not, by, by being surprised by everything that happens to you is a good way to try to do some sort of cheshbon nefesh and, and, and really view everything almost like a child with this kind of uh, wonder and, uh, and amazement. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the, the, the other thing maybe I would say is um, that it could be interesting to sort of think of um, the stories that you tell about yourself. Like when you tell, when you, when you, uh, either when you meet somebody new or sort of the tor- stories that you tend to come back to and keep telling about yourself and um, just sort of uh, looking at those stories and trying to understand why, why are those stories, the ones you keep coming back to, why are those important to you? Um, 
what do they say about sort of the way you think about yourself and mm-hmm. are you happy with that or, or are you, would you like to introduce, you know, some new stories maybe or make some edits? Um, yeah. That's a, that's a great way for us to close unless anybody has any, any other questions that you haven't yet had the chance to write. Um, I really, it just, this was such an honor. Just, uh, it was really wonderful to hear from both of you to be able to kind Thanks, of know nice. the, the, the honor back- was, was ours. <laughs> to know the background of Israel story, which this is now the second time that I've, that I've heard a little bit more and just really every time just brings such a different perspective to how, how we listen to stories, but also in these past few answers, how we can now be doing that work ourselves um, and be thinking about our own stories. And I love the idea of thinking about the stories that we tell and why those are the stories that we tell over and over again. Because as I started off this whole, um, I was about to say podcast, it's not a podcast, but as I started (laughs) off this whole um, experience by saying that it's so similar to our Torah, right? We read these same stories over and over and over again. And why those stories, right? Why do we read about the Akedah during Rosh Hashanah? Why do we read about Hana on Rosh Hashanah, right? What's the what's the point of having certain stories told at certain times? So thank you so much. It was just such a pleasure to have both of you here and to be able to learn a little more. And I'm going to let you have the last word, but I just want to say to everyone, um, you really, really should listen to Israel's story. It's a wonderful podcast. It's an easy podcast to listen to while doing other things you don't have to feel like it's going to give you nightmares or that there's a better time of the day to listen to it. It's really a wonderful, wonderful thing to listen to at any point. Um, and whichever one of you wants to have the last word, I want to let you give Go for it. it. You're high. No, I mean, I think we, we, we said a lot. Um, we're, we're, uh, as I said before, we really hope that you'll sort of join the Israel Story community of listeners and, uh, and, and sign up to our podcast. And we have, a, we have a sort of a closed Facebook group that you're welcome to join as well. Um, and we'd love to, you know, if, if you do end up giving us a listen, um, we would really love to hear from you what you thought. Um, as I, I like to say, we're always in the market for good stories. So if anybody out, anybody out there has a good story, I'll, uh, I'll even, I'll put my email in here. It's uh, Yochai, Yochai at IsraelStory.org. And if and, anyone ever um, needs it, I'm happy to, if you forget it or whatever, I can send it to you. Yeah. And um, it was, it was great talking to you, Rabbi. This Thank was, uh, you. Yeah. Went in very different directions than, than uh, sort of conversations we really have. So that was, a, that was really, you made us uh, sweat and work for our, for our answers here. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you again both for being here. Just so everyone knows, we will make sure that these are, I know some people have already left, so I'm kind of preaching to the choir. But if you are part of any of these classes and have to leave early, they will be recorded and in a Google Drive for people to be able to listen to. We actually have a TBA podcast now, and these are also going to be put on as just being able to listen to them, not just have to watch them. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Hamon really just an amazing, thank you. An amazing opportunity. And thank you all for being here. And we hope to see you tomorrow. Abigail Pogorbin, um, who is an author, is going to be joining us at maybe also 11. I don't remember, but it's the same link, same password. 
9 a.m., not 11 a.m. Thank you, Renee, and uh, see you all soon. Laila Tov, Boker Tov, wherever you Laila are. Laila Tov, yeah. Bye, Litrot. Bye, Litrot. Bye-bye. Shalom, shalom. Bye. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.